This is Unfortunate History. What's up, everybody? You're listening to Unfortunate History. This is Cody Pennington, and with me, as always, is Greg Skinner. Hey, guys. How are we doing? How are you, Cody? I'm very good, man. Uh, I'm very good because this uh, last couple of days, we've pretty much like tripled our listeners. It's been so amazing to wake up every morning and check these stats, and, and it blows up every day. And it's, it's, it's literally blowing my mind right now. It, it is madness to hear this again you've been messaging me saying okay our, our listeners have doubled then another message our listeners have doubled again we're in some kind of charts on stitcher <laughs> we were on the charts we were on the top moved charts on stitcher yeah, that's so cool how crazy is that again we gotta honestly uh take a hat off to stitcher and the listeners on there for um i guess listening to us because... yeah absolutely thank you so much to the people on stitcher you guys are are, are absolutely killing it um Obviously, every other platform. I think Spotify right now is our second biggest platform. But um, Stitcher, thank you so much for joining the crew and and listening and stuff. And please, if you could, just share it with your friends and family. You know, show your family, tell a friend. And uh, if you could, you can rate our show on Stitcher. But you can only do it from I think from this desktop version. So if you just uh, went to our des- our show on the desktop Stitcher.com, um, and you can probably le- I think you can leave a review there. If you do that, that'd be great. You know, um, it helps us out. Um, we just need all the help we can get right now. Our goal is 20,000 listeners to downloads, 20,000 downloads, and we are getting there. It's crazy, but we are making our way there. Um, so please help us out if you can. And uh, let us know if we can do anything better, you know? We know we know you can do it, guys. We have the utmost faith in you. Just keep listening to us. That's all you have to do. It costs nothing. Absolutely, yeah. But we've, we've had some decent feedback as well. Again, I've had a... I've had a um, close friend of mine named Moz, and I know he will be listening... Get back on the last, get back to me on the last episode of uh, the Billy the Kid we won, Billy the Kid episode we did, about our naming of the character Alias. Yeah, that now was he, hilarious. That was awesome. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed to think it was Elias. And when I first heard it, I thought that makes a lot of sense. And I, I honestly thought, could it be possible that Cody is wrong about something? Because I thought <gasps> that was generally, I, I generally thought that was impossible. I thought Cody is the be all and end all. If Cody, no, I don't, <laughs> let me just put it this way. If I don't know anything until, until Cody tells me. So he sent me this thing saying he's watched a film about Billy the Kid going, he doesn't think the name's Alias. He thinks it's Elias. And he sent a video clip of him doing an impression going, Elias, Elias. And it was much better than what I just did. <laughs> I thought as well when you sent it to me that I was like, oh, that makes so much sense because it sounds so c- cowboy. Um, mm-hmm. But the reason I chose Alias was because, obviously, you, listeners will remember from the previous episode that Billy the Kid met somebody named Alias because he had, for basically, his real name had been forgotten to time because he basically used a ton of different names. And that's why I felt like his name would be Alias because, obviously, that's using a fake name. So... I mean, that was my reasoning, but I felt like Elias worked so much better. <laughs> and it's, it's quite funny because, the, again, like literally 10 seconds after Mozza um, sent me that message, he sent me a snippet of, from a film where Bob Dylan plays Alias. And, again, that's where we got the information from, where he, where um, we kind of certified that his name is definitely Alias, is Bob Dylan going... My name's Alias. Well, let's be it's, fair. We can't just trust Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> very famous and very, very well-renowned songwriter, but I don't know if you can trust him with historical fact. But, but he didn't... I feel like there's a director and a writer who would have gone, listen, Bob, your name's Alias. It's not Elias. It's Alias. <laughs> Say Are you sure alias. it shouldn't be <laughs> Alias? My name is Elias. <laughs> you know what? I've heard you do that, and it's madness that we have never covered a Bob Dylan song in our time of being musicians together. I have before, before you. Um, oh my god! Yeah, in in, a, in an earlier time, but that's not a story for today. Today nope. we have to pick up on where we left Billy the Kid, and I want to mm-hmm. preface this episode by saying there is a lot of information in this episode. We're going to be discussing a lot of different parts of Billy the Kid's life that really molded him into a criminal and into mm-hmm. a infamous person. He became somebody who was completely different from the first episode. And that's what we're kind of driving home in this episode because it actually truly is an unfortunate episode because mm-hmm. he went from being this protector of the weak and innocent 
And at the end of this episode, you'll find out he dies in a very unfortunate way. And uh, so stick with us through that. But uh, I think now is the time to dive right back into it. All right, let's go. Let's see what's happening. Again, listeners, I'm on the same page as you. I know nothing. Cody, take it away. Yeah. Well, when we last left Billy the Kid, he had passed out on one of the peaks of the Guadalupe Mountains, with Tom O'Keefe also asleep on an adjacent peak. The two had just narrowly escaped a group of 20 Apache, and although they were not all that far from each other in distance, they were quite far from each other in terms of travel, because the space in between was full of very difficult to traverse terrain. Now, when they both awoke the next morning, they had speculated on each other's fate. Knowing that the Apache had given up chase, the kid made his way down the opposite side of the mountain, and he continued his journey east until he arrived at Rio Pecos. And the journey had actually taken three days, and since he had no access to a horse, the kid had to make the entire journey on foot. Now, after arriving, he rested for a few days and then met up with Jesse Evans and the gang from the previous episode. Now, this group was now an active part of what was referred to as the Lincoln County War, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, But Billy was still actually quite worried about Tom O'Keefe. So he convinced a few of the men to accompany him while he went back to look for him. When you were talking about Billy the Kid doing a, a three-day hike, and I know this is kind of a common thing for anything in the old American West. You've got these um, people who will travel for days upon days just to go, not really that far, to walk <laughs> three days through mountainous, you know, traversing mountains and this and that, just after coming from being chased by Apaches. Again, more credit, and um, again, I don't know what the other guy went through as well, but I feel like it's the same sort of thing. So, um... Somewhat. It's kind of a bit easier for Tom O'Keefe. Now, Tom had actually woken up the same day as Billy. He, unfortunately, had not been lucky enough to get water like Billy had the previous day, so he was dealing with a terrible thirst and hunger, and he decided that he, too, would have to brave the spring in the mountain clearing. However, he would instead wait until nightfall. He did so and found the canteen that Billy had dropped the day before during the attack. And he filled the canteen and actually made his way out of the clearing without issue, which is really lucky for Tom. Mm -hmm. Tom found outside the clearing entrance that Billy's horse had been killed by the Apache. It had been shot to death. So Mm. he would also need to make the journey out of the mountains on foot. But he decided to go the opposite direction. Now, O'Keefe walked for a full day, not three days like the kid had, But he walked for a full day until he luckily found his horse that he had smacked in the previous episode when the Apache attacked. He then rode to a nearby town where he actually did end up meeting with the kid in the kid's search party. And the kid tried to convince O'Keefe to accompany him to the Lincoln County, uh, to Lincoln County, but Tom had had enough of that part of the state and he declined. And the two separated to never see each other again. That's mad because how did I just find one of it? Listen, if I didn't have a phone and the ability to text or WhatsApp or call someone, I would not find anyone ever. Believe me, I could live a street away. And if I couldn't text you, I would not find you. So the fact that these guys have found one another from... Whoever, just searching, you know, just looking. You know, just just, just <laughs> going in a direction. Like, oh, oh, there's Billy. I've been traveling for a day. And Billy's like, oh, I've been traveling for three days. Oh, we've just found each other. Oh, well, I guess that happens. And their version of searching for someone is literally just drinking in a saloon until he shows up in the same saloon. <laughs> literally. Literally. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty first there. I better go for a drink. And he goes. And then, you know, oh, there you are. I guess you were thirsty too. <laughs> Tom, you got to come fight this war with me, Tom. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Where have you been? Well, I've mentioned the Lincoln County War a few times in this episode and the previous episode. We'll not get into the exact details of the war, but we'll cover an overview of the war and the parts that pertain specifically to Billy the Kid. Mm -hmm. Now, the Lincoln County War was described as pretty much just a cattle war, but it was a bloody cattle war. Now, on one side was John S. Chisholm, and he was referred to as the Cattle King of New Mexico, which I wouldn't want to be referred to as that. Why not? Why Why would that not be good back then? I wouldn't say it was... I think back then it was great. Now, nowadays, it seems like you you fuck your cattle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you made sense. Okay, I like it. I like it. And it would be a difficult job because Ch- Chisholm owned herds of cattle numbering between forty and 80,000 that stretched over a 200-mile radius. Okay, if that's a lot of cattle to fuck if that's what we're talking about. <laughs> God, the filth. Let's carry on. Let's carry on. Now, the opposition to Chisholm was the firm of Murphy and Dolan, which was backed by pretty much all the other smaller cattle owners in the state. 
Now, basically, Murphy and Dolan and the smaller cattle owners felt that Chisholm had effectively monopolized the cattle market with his giant herds of cattle. Mm-hmm. Back in those days, monopolies were considered awful, and they actually just killed people because of it. Not not like today, where there's just uh, hostile takeovers of companies. <laughs> you can't possibly fuck that many cows, you <laughs> son of a bitch! You, that's the plot. <laughs> That's just what I envision. This is your fault, Cody. <laughs> well, the, I hope that hopefully the listeners are just the whole time through this Lincoln County War. These people just want to make love to as many cattle as possible, <laughs> and Chisholm is keeping them from doing it. Specifically, making love. <laughs> <laughs> well, to fight back against Chisholm, the Murphy and Dolan side actually allegedly stole some of Chisholm's cattle. They would continuously actually steal Chisholm's cattle and sell them at auctions. And I assume they would sell them to other cattle ranchers. Mm -hmm. So they would effectively be taking his cattle and distributing them among the other cattle ranchers. Mm -hmm. Now, Billy and his group were under the employ of the Murphy and Dolan clan as protectors of the livestock. Mm -hmm. And they spent a full summer fighting against the Chisholm forces. Now, Billy's courage throughout these particular fights when fending off uh, attackers and ruffians and stealers trying to take their cattle, that garnered him a huge name, bigger than he actually already had previously. And that actually built so much that it pretty much forced his friends and all of his enemies to just full-on respect him, no matter what. He, was, he garnered this air of just, you have to to respect this person, even at the young age of, I believe he's 19 here. So, and, and, and what was that for doing? What was he doing at the time? Just because he showed so much courage and bravery and skill with his guns, protecting the Murphy and Dolan clan uh, okay. cattle. He did his job so well, and it was such a bloody war that every battle that he fought just made his name greater. So, is it basically, again, he, he just tore his way through people, I guess, again? That's um, pretty much what he did. Now, following this summer of working for the Murphy Dolan faction, Billy actually became a bit bored with his work. It's not exactly clear why he made his next decision. Maybe he just wanted a bit more excitement. We don't know. But he decided to turn coat and actually join the Chisholm forces. Was this all based around cows? This is all <laughs> cattle. So he joined he joined Chisholm, who owned much more cattle than the others. But he wanted to just... Get more excitement, maybe. We don't know why, but he just decided to betray his friends and go over to the other force. I suppose he just up and went, fuck him, I'm going over that side. Well, yeah, kind of. But he met with a leader in the Chisholm force, an Englishman, actually, by the name of John H. Tunstall, to discuss his uh, eventual betrayal. Now, the kid offered his services to Chisholm, and he was immediately hired. Someone of his bravery and skill was in incredible demand. Now, however, he didn't actually do this behind his friend's back. Billy actually rode to meet his previous allies at their camp to tell them that he was going to betray them face-to-face, one-on-nine. Solid, massive bollocks. Yeah. I'll give him that. Yeah. I'll give him that. I, I like to think I'm quite an honest guy, and I like to kind of tell it how it is, but um, if I if I really had it set in my mind that, I was going to betray all my friends. I'll go, you know what, fuck them. I'm going over there. <laughs> I ain't saying anything. No, exactly. One on nine. Come on. No, but he didn't care. Well, this news obviously caught the group off guard, and some of them would rather just kill the kid right then and there until Jesse Evans stepped in, and I'm going to do a Jesse Evans impression. Oh. I'm going to try and not make it like the kid, but Jesse Evans said, Boys, we've slept, drank, feasted, starved, and fought cheek by jowl with the kid. He's trusted himself alone among us, coming like a man to notify us of his intention. He didn't sneak off like a cur and leave us to find out when we heard the crack of his Winchester that he was fighting against us. Let him go. Our time will come. We shall meet him again, perhaps in a fair fight. But then he muttered just ever so slightly under his breath, and he'll make some of you brave fellows squeak. (laughs) And that was... Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey <laughs> coming back for his second appearance on the podcast. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, all right. Now, after Jesse had made his announcement to the group, all the men agreed, except for one, Frank Baker, this asshole. Mm-hmm. Baker would prefer to kill the kid at that moment. Now, this 
obviously didn't make the kid happy. And as we said, he had developed a crazy reputation up to this point. And at this point, he definitely knew it. Mm -hmm. So he replied to Baker saying, Yes, you damned cowardly dog. Right now when you're nine to one. But don't take me to be fast asleep because I look tired. Come on, Bakers, you're stinking for a fight. You never killed a man you didn't shoot in the back. Come on and fight a man that's looking at you. And the kid's expression as he spoke was described as an intimidating glare of epic proportions with red lightning bolts flashing through his eyes. And Baker didn't say shit. So Billy turned his horse and slowly rode away, giving one regretful glance to a single member of the group, his old friend Jesse Evans, who he would actually soon meet again. See, that's mad. Big. How, how did he size such an epic thing? Now, I don't know about anyone else, but when, say if I was to get angry at someone, my words get missed and I just kind of go, fucking, and I, I couldn't possibly say anything that epic and badass. And he just... was very calm under all types of pressure. So Billy, whenever, like, obviously we describe him as smiling when he's fighting. He's a very calm person. So if he's met with some kind of resistance from somebody, he's just going to respond to them in a very intelligent way, actually, because he is mm -hmm. described as being a very smart person. And, I mean, obviously he knew uh, Spanish flawlessly, mm -hmm. and uh, he just learned that by picking it up. But he was also mm -hmm. described as a child in school to be very just naturally gifted. So... Mm -hmm. He just thinks quick on his feet. As quick as he is with his gun, he's as quick with his mouth. Okay. Now, after Billy's betrayal, he actually developed a very <clears throat> deep friendship with Tunstall, who had hired him on to work for Chisholm. Uh, and he developed this throughout his employment, which actually seems like a common theme for the kid, that he develops very deep relationships with certain people. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that Tunstall and Billy were lovers, but I will say that they were just very close. They were, and he, and he would do anything for Tunstall, pretty much. This very, very solid friends. Now, I, I can understand that, like, again, where I was saying, like, he seems like he's got, it seems like Billy has this very stable way of, so, sort of like a stable way of looking at his own mind, he's very set in his own ways, so I think if he was to meet someone who he truly respects or truly feels like he's got a friendship with, I feel like he'd take that to the very end, so, again, it's nothing to do with, like, a romantic thing, I just, he just probably looked at whoever he was and gone, like, okay, I've got a lot of time for you, if yeah, you know what I'm like. Well, the months after developing this relationship, this friendship with Tunstall, <laughs> uh, the months passed relatively uneventfully, and it seemed like the kid had lost some of his taste for blood that he had had throughout the war up to this point. Mm -hmm. Now, it was almost at this time as if the kid's life represented a full calm before an awful storm. In 1878, when the kid was 19, a member of his previous group named William S. Morton, along mm -hmm. with a posse of cowboys, set out to recover some horses, which Tunstall had claimed. The posse approached Tunstall and his men, but Tunstall's men deserted him, leaving him completely alone. Now, Morton claimed that Tunstall then fired on the posse, mm -hmm. but that doesn't seem very likely considering it was one man against a whole posse, and Tunstall wasn't Billy the Kid. Mm -hmm. He wasn't described as being a gunfighter. Now, no matter how the events played out, Tunstall was shot and killed by Morton's posse. Mm -hmm. Following the attack, a member of the posse approached the kid's friend dying on the ground, placed his rifle to the back of his head, fired and scattered his brains all over the ground. Pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, again, it does sound it does sound like a cold-hearted execution. So. It was a cold-hearted execution. Mm -hmm. And before the evening fell on that same night as Tunstall's murder, the kid was made aware of the attack, and his anger was uncontrollable. And the news of Tunstall's death changed the direction of Billy's life forever until his death a few short years later. And from this moment on, he was dead set on avenging Tunstall's death. Ooh, they in trouble now. They are very much in trouble, yes. <laughs> One man army coming at ya. At least some of them are quite in trouble. After hearing the news of Tunstall's death, Billy left the herd he was protecting and rode to Lincoln, pretty much instantly, and learned of a constable rounding up a posse to arrest Tunstall's murderers. Mm -hmm. The kid joined that posse without hesitation. <laughs> about a month later, because they had been searching for them for about a month, the posse found a party of five men who fled when they caught sight of Billy. Billy recognized Morton, the one who had led the posse that murdered Tunstall, mm -hmm. and Baker, the man who had threatened the kid when he changed sides. So he pursued them for five miles until luckily the two men's horses stumbled on, I think, a, po a pothole of some kind. A pothole? They had potholes in horse days. Like. Yeah, of course they did. Yeah, there was holes. 
I've done I've done tires on potholes, but <laughs> no. Well, uh, obviously it could have been some kind of burrow, like an like an animal's burrow yeah, or something I like that. It. But yeah. the, the, either way, the horses stumbled and they fell, and then um, and Billy caught up to the two men. But the two men parlayed the posse and asked to be taken prisoner. Mm-hmm. Billy obviously tried to fight this option, but he was outvoted because he was also with lawmen at the time. Mm-hmm. So the men were taken prisoner. Although Billy promised he would have his revenge. And as it turns out, those particular prisoners did not live to see the inside of a jail cell. Oh, okay. I, I always thought back then, like, I thought a lot of things did result in hanging anyway. It did. But when there was lawmen involved, they actually did want the person to have a trial. They wanted the person to be sentenced, and then if, it was, if they were to go down, they would be publicly executed, not just okay. shot in the middle of a field. It was a, it was a public thing. Billy wanted to be the finger on the trigger, I suppose. Is that why? He did, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, he definitely wanted to kill them because Morton won. Morton for, for leading the force that killed Tunstall and Baker for just being an absolute asshole when he left the group. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a bit of conjecture on how these two men's deaths occurred. It's said that a group inside the posse that had captured them had decided to murder Morton and Baker while they were in custody, but they didn't tell the lawmen involved. Mm-hmm. And it was said that Billy was actually a part of this group. However, Billy denied this, stating that he would never murder an unarmed man. But, judging by his action in the last episode, he would definitely murder an unarmed Native American. And, as we'll see later, he would sometimes murder an unarmed man. Now, Billy gave his own recollection of the event, which was supported by multiple members of the group. And that's the recollection of the event we're going to go with. And that's what Pat Garrett goes with in his book. Okay, okay, cool. Again, because part of me thought, nah, Billy, because he's such a badass, would never murder an unarmed man because we've been talking about him how we have. But then you've got to remember that he does have a bit of a track record of doing pretty shitty things like that. Well, (laughs) he didn't think of Native Americans as men. He thought of them, he thought he was very racist, so he would kill them. But as we see, and this is the point of this episode, is that Billy devolved, obviously, into a person that would be a murderous person in a sense of that of that it, that it was almost completely evil in the way that he did things oh, okay because he, he i suppose up to now he has been kind of murderous he's definitely been murderous but it was not odd for the time yeah it's not okay i'll I get that I, I i guess this is kind of information to me I, I, i'm interested to see how he does devolve and become this Evil person. Yeah, evil person. Because up to now, he hasn't got that quality about him, but I am yeah. I am interested to hear that. Yeah. Now, while transporting the prisoners, Morton and Baker, one of the posse members attempting to murder the prisoners rode up to them, and he shot the guard closest to them in the head, causing the prisoners to flee. Now, at this moment, the kid was actually riding ahead of the posse. Mm-hmm. When he heard the gunshot, he turned to see the dead guard and the prisoners fleeing. And in his mind one of the prisoners had actually been able to take a weapon and kill the guard, and they were now trying to escape. Mm -hmm. Now, the kid rode very fast, because he was always on a very fast horse, but the kid rode straight to the front of the posse that was pursuing the prisoners, took out his revolver, and fired two shots, and each bullet hit its mark, killing both Morton and Baker, and the bodies were left where they fell, and they were buried in the dirt by some random sheep herders. That sounds a bit planned to me, but... Again, I wasn't there, so who knows, but... um, Well, actually, Billy the Kid's um, recollection of the events was agreed on by quite a few people that were there when it happened. Okay. Well, we'll take his word for it then. Yeah. But the lawman actually didn't take his word for it, as we'll see in a second. Oh, did they not? They didn't. Okay. Now, following this incident, Billy also hunted down another member of the Morton posse known by the name of Roberts, and he hunted him down in a relatively uneventful way, so we won't go into it to save time. Okay. But following this murder, a warrant was sent out for the kid's rest because of the murders of Morton, Baker, and Roberts. Now, this is the first moment where the kid begins to show some signs of obsession with his quest for vengeance. Okay, that again, that's interesting because... The fact that there was a, there was a warrant sent out for him, even though he was on, it was essentially on their side at first, wasn't it? But it he? was but, claimed that he was part of the uh, betraying party. So he, they, everybody else claimed that Billy was in on it to kill these guys while they were in custody, which is illegal, obviously. The lawman yeah. needed to transport them, and then they should have been given a trial in that. But he was just killing them because they were escaping. 
as he claims. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, again, like I say, we'll take his word for that. But um... well, Pat Garrett seems to take his word as well, and the fact that it was um, it was also supported by quite a few other people. Um, it seems like it's pretty likely that Billy was telling the truth, but he did get his chance to kill those people, those guys anyways. Like I said, even if he was sent I do feel like he very much took the opportunity that he oh, wanted. Yeah. But, uh, he wasn't going to yeah, let anybody exactly. else kill them. That, no. That's for damn sure. But I don't personally think that he planned it. I think he was just there to transport the men and then probably there to hope that he got the chance to kill them, which he luckily did. He was an opportunist. Like, you know what I mean? He, he took his opportunity. Yeah. Now, this warrant that was sent out for the kid's arrest was sent out by Sheriff William Brady. And Brady was said to be a very stand-up gentleman and a very respectable man. Although, he was also reportedly very prejudiced in favor of the Murphy-Dolan faction during the Lincoln County War, which Billy had previously deserted and betrayed. <laughs> now, Billy, at this point would not let anything stand in the way of his revenge, and he set a trap for the sheriff in the center of the town of Lincoln. Billy and his group were perched on top of a store, and as Sheriff Brady was crossing the street, they opened fire, instantly killing the sheriff in completely cold blood. This particular murder began to turn the tide against the kid. He had murdered a lawman in cold blood for threatening to get in his way. This lost him many friends, mm -hmm. who had up to this point excused his actions. And this was Billy the Kid's descent into a true criminal. See, that's kind of weird that he lost a lot of friends because I, f I would have thought like this sort of outlaw lifestyle was quite popular back then. I suppose that's just from me looking at, you know, m modern media where this kind of thing was always happening. The sheriff was always getting shot or this and that and this well, and that. Well, it's different when the sheriff was not posing any threat other than issuing a warrant. He basically told him, you're not going to try to arrest me. And he just assassinated him almost. But previously, he had just fought people in one-on-one -on -one gun duels or in battles, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. But this okay. was a cold-blooded, calculated move by Billy to get rid of an obstacle. Were sheriffs not like looked down upon back then, though, again, by people who were outlaws, I guess? Was that not a thing that happened back then? It is a thing that happened, yeah, absolutely. But the, the t people of the town, especially when it's a respected person. Okay. Because obviously okay. Brady was, like I said, was a, re a respected person in the town, and he was very well-liked. Now, if you killed somebody that people didn't expect you to kill, somebody that wasn't an asshole, because up to this point, Billy's been killing, you got to remember, the people that he killed one-on-one, -on -one, most of them have been bullies. They've been bullies and assholes that have been pushing him to the point where he needed to kill them. So had people before this kind of liked Billy, I guess, in this town? Yeah, Billy, up to this point, Billy is a folk hero, and he still kind of is a folk, yeah, yeah. like a folk hero throughout the whole mid, uh, the Wild West. He still is kind of a hero at this point, but again... In, later, in the later part of this episode, we're still getting into more of a descent that Billy's going to be traveling further and further down. How brazen must this attack have been? Because, like I say, back in those days, there weren't cameras, there wasn't CCTV. All, all it would have took to hide your identity back then was a balaclava over your face. So how in the open must this attack must have been? It was for... huge, and it was almost like it was a statement. Oh, okay. Uh, he and a couple of people were on top of this building and decided to fire at him. And the sheriff was with two other people, but I'm not going to get really into that detail, but he, they ended up killing most of them. I think one of the persons was able to get away. But they just, an open, just in the in the town, just opened fire on this sheriff. And, and ev everyone knew it was them as well. Oh, yeah. Everyone knew it was them. The word traveled very fast on that. Billy didn't really try to hide his mm -hmm. his identity with this. He, he didn't care if people knew that. And I assume that could have been a play to get sheriffs to back off. Because I think after Brady was killed... Uh, the, the town of Lincoln was sheriffless for a good few months. No way. So they actually had no law in town. No way. Now, a few months after this murder, Billy received word that Jesse Evans and a group of men were actually attempting to take a team of horses that were under the watch of the kid. And this pissed him off, <laughs> obviously. So skipping breakfast, Billy set out to intercept Jesse with a group of five other men. The group split in two and traveled in separate directions to make sure that they didn't miss Jesse's group. Billy went west while the other half went east. Unfortunately, the group heading east ran into Jesse's group first and found that Jesse was accompanied by eight men. So the three men were grossly outmatched and a firefight broke out. Mm -hmm. Now the kid heard the shots and rode back in the direction of the group. The firefight subsided when one of Jesse's men, Charlie Bowdry, uh, was being held at gunpoint by Jesse's posse. And Jesse said to Charlie, Where's your partner, Charlie? I expected to meet him this morning. I'm hungry and thought I'd flay and roast the kid for breakfast. <laughs> but just then, 
all the men heard the well-known battle cry of Billy the Kid coming from the West. And Charlie Bowdry said, There comes your breakfast, Jesse. And they turned to see the kid's horse, but actually no sign of Billy, except for a leg over the top of the saddle and a revolver protruding from beneath the horse's neck. (laughs) This obviously caught the men off guard, and the kid yelled to Charlie to mount his horse, at the same time as knocking a mirror of Jesse's posse to the ground. However, no shots were fired. Billy just straightened up in his saddle next to Charlie after he'd gotten on his horse and made direct eye contact with Jesse, and the men stared at each other for a good few minutes, seemingly pretty careless in their attitudes, but both sitting with their revolvers fully cocked, resting on their thighs, and the kid, of course, wore his signature creepy-ass smile. (laughs) Now, finally, Jesse broke the silence by speaking, and I'm going to paraphrase this next conversation a little bit because it had a, quite a bit of Wild West lingo in it that you may not understand. Okay. Uh, and, and I don't know, even know if I could say some of the words. Um, but Jesse at first said, Well, Billy, this is a hell of a way to introduce yourself to a private picnic party. What do you want, anyhow? And then the kid answered, How are you, Jess? It's a long time since we met. Come over to my house and have some breakfast with me. I've been wanting to talk to you for a good long time, but I'm powerful hungry. Jesse responded by saying, I, too, have been wanting to see you, but not exactly in this instance. Now, see, I heard you've been hunting them men that killed Tunstall, and I wanted to say to you that neither I nor any of my men were there. You know if I was, I would not deny it to you or any other man. Now, I know you wasn't there, Jesse, replied the kid. If you had been, you'd been shot dead without any words. Then, Jesse, obviously surprised that he hadn't shot him, said, Then why are you interrupting us? Well, now the kid said, Oh, you can ask Charlie why I'm here. He'll tell you all about it. Now, you won't come for breakfast with me then? Well, I'm gone then, but one word, Jesse, before I go. There's apparently a party from Seven Rivers lurking around here. They're apparently looking to steal a bunch of horses, which I'm in charge of. Now, the horses are right over the hills at that old ranch. If you meet that crowd, could you please tell them where they are and tell them they're welcome to the horses, but but I'll be there waiting to receive them as well. Basically saying, come on over and steal my horses, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Now, he then asked Jesse to put up his pistol and to rest his hand, basically. And both of the men lowered their pistols to the relief of everybody present. Pretty much it was explained that all the men there sighed instantly. Now, Billy told Jesse that he would now take his leave, but he shouldn't fire a shot or the kid would come back. Now, he and his men left with their backs completely exposed to Jesse's crew not caring whether or not they fired a shot. Mm-hmm. And after a few moments of silence, Jesse finally said, God damn, he's a cool one. <laughs> and he and his man took their leave as well. You know what? Jesse was wrong. He is a cool one. <laughs> what a guy. You know what? I wish you'd sent me the transcript for that because I could apply Jesse. I'll do it next time. But it wouldn't have been half as good. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Jesse and I can do this and that. <laughs> okay, it's probably better that you don't ever send me a transcript to do any sort of accent. But no. well, again, it is interesting just how his very presence would make people not want to fire a shot. Because I, I, I guess they expected that. I suppose deep down they thought he's better than me at you know, fighting, he will win this gunfight. And obviously, obviously, he's known Jesse for a while. Exactly. Well. They like, have a very big history as well. You, you'd say they were friends before. They were friends, yeah. And they, the, the fact that I think it's mainly the thing that kid, uh, the kid had betrayed him, obviously, with the Lincoln County War, but he also betrayed him in another sense, which we're going to talk about right now. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point in the story, I think it's good to uh, skip a bit of information purely for the sake of saving some time. But just know that between this meeting with Jesse and the next meeting with Jesse, through a series of pretty crazy events, the kid ended up killing a man named Bob Beckwith. Mm -hmm. However, this was not in cold blood. It was during a battle of the Lincoln County War. But if you'd like to know more about that, definitely check out Pat Garrett's book on Billy the Kid online, and you can read all about that. It's a very long book, though, mm-hmm. uh, relatively for this type of uh, for this type of story. Now, around a year following the last interaction with Jesse, when the kid was about twenty, he met Jesse Evans again for the final time. But this ended quite differently than what you might think. Jesse and the kid were both in Lincoln on business. They had a meeting in the evening following their business in the street, mm-hmm. and Jesse initially told the kid. Billy, I ought to kill you for killing Bob Beckwith. (laughs) And Billy instantly replied with, You can't start shooting fast enough for me, Jesse. I have a hundred causes to kill you. (laughs) However, the other men present acted as peacekeepers during the situation, and the threats actually began to die down. And soon, 
the parties had completely reconciled and decided to drown their old animosities in whiskey. However, when leaving the saloon, a member of their group by the name of Campbell accosted a lawyer on the street saying he wanted to see him dance, and the lawyer responded pretty angrily to this, which caused Campbell to just shoot him dead in the street. Thus, the two newly rebutted friends, the kid and Jesse, were witnesses to one killing in which they actually took absolutely no part in. And after this night, Billy and Jesse parted ways to never meet again. No way. This is the last time they ever meet, really, ever. This is the last time they ever meet, and they left as friends. That is insane. It's really great, yeah. It's a year before Billy's death. He's 20 years old now. But up to this point, they had been quite quite big enemies. They, you know, friends, then enemies, and then now they actually reconcile completely and, and uh, put aside their differences and parted as complete friends and never met again. Mm, frenemies. In, this, in, in the sort of modern day lingo, they were frenemies. Because honestly, when we when we when, when we was building up to this, I was kind of expecting you to tell me that um, Jesse would have killed Billy the Kid. So it's kind of nice to actually hear that they separated in their own way. Yeah, I, my information comes from nowhere, bitch. Like <laughs> comes out of <laughs> comes out of nowhere. Yeah, pow. <laughs> whoa, whoa! <laughs> Surprise research. <laughs> <laughs> now the final moment of Billy the Kid's descent into infamy came with the murder of a younger man by the name of Jimmy Carlisle. Mm-hmm. In 1880, when the kid was about 20 years old, a posse, which included a relatively young James Carlisle, I believe he was around between 17 to 19, something like that. Mm-hmm. This posse was put together to investigate a rumor that the kid and his gang were holed up in a nearby home. And the posse approached the home and sent word to those inside that if a member would come out and talk, they would be allowed to return inside if they denied the offer presented to them by the posse in exchange for a surrender. Now, the group inside refused, but they said instead they wanted to speak to Carlisle, and the group offered the same promise to Carlisle in that he would be able to leave the home completely unharmed. Mm -hmm. At first, the posse denied this outright. However, Carlisle eventually stood up and said that he wanted to go, and he would go and speak to the kids' group inside the home. So he disarmed himself and walked inside the house. And hours passed, and the posse outside heard no noise coming from inside the home. Now, there's not much information about what occurred inside the house, but it's reported that once Carlisle made it inside, he was instantly taken prisoner. The kid had decided that he would be their guarantee for making an escape late in the evening. Mm -hmm. To pass the time, the kid and the group forced Carlisle to down an enormous amount of whiskey while the other people in the home drank themselves, but definitely not to the limit that Carlisle was forced to drink. And during the drinking, a member of Billy's crew accidentally fired a shot from his gun, which terrified the young and drunk Carlisle, Mm -hmm. causing him to jump through a nearby closed window. He pulled himself up from the ground and rushed towards his friends, but three shots rang out from the window, all hitting the young boy in the back, killing him. And it was claimed by the members of Billy's group that all three shots were fired by the kid himself, although he did later deny this and said that there's more to the story that people don't know. But nonetheless, this murder was seen as particularly grotesque by the people of Lincoln and surrounding areas, because up to this point, the kid's reputation had been one of an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. But Carlisle was a very respected young blacksmith in the town, and he was actually beloved by a great deal of people. He had made, reportedly, hundreds of friends. And hearing that the kid had gunned him down from behind... Mm-hmm while he was unarmed, was too much for Billy's reputation to withstand, and he lost all the remaining respect of the people, which was then replaced solely by fear. No way. That is absolutely mad. I can think of worse ways to be held captive other than being made to drink a lot of whiskey. I've heard of worse, but again, being shot in the back, not so fun. No, and especially when he when he was unarmed, and he was just going back to the posse. Exactly. It was a very cold-blooded murder. Yeah. Especially to shoot... You don't, uh, you don't shoot men in the back unless... I mean, obviously, if it's an unarmed kid, that's just even more grotesque. There's certain things that you don't do in the Wild West, and shooting yeah. a man in the back is normally one of them, unless he's really done something wrong but not an innocent person. It, it does sound like he just literally just shit himself and just gone, I'm going, I'm going. That's it. If it is true, that bit of the kid just gunned him down in the back, it is a pretty disgusting thing. It is, yeah. Now, obviously, like I said, Billy did deny this, but we don't really know. Um, but 
the people in his group inside the home did attest to the bullets coming from Billy. Um, but either way, Billy's reputation, no matter what happened, was destroyed. I could sort of picture it maybe not been him and maybe it was a few of his team and then they've all kind of turned on Billy just to kind of get themselves out of the public eye. So again, I've, I'm kind of in two minds. So there's a part of me that goes, maybe it, it could have very much been Billy, you know, the quick shooting, three shots in the back. But I could also picture it have been just three of his posse just gunning off and then them all turning on Billy. But for the sake, for the sake of the story, we'll go, it's Billy. Well, as in a few moments, we'll see um, after this next particular part of the story, uh, the following part, we'll see that Billy did even more uh, cold-blooded things later on. So it, it does seem like he still continuously does worse. Now, following the brutal takedown of Carlisle, Billy's name continued to grow. He had grown from being this young man who protected the innocent into a terrifyingly deadly criminal and gunslinger. And this bit of information found its way to the actually very talented gunslinger, Joe Grant. Now, he arrived in town with the only goal of besting the kid. In turn, he wanted to become a holy terror, as he liked to say, like an asshole. <laughs> so this guy's entire thing was just to be a dick. Like, he, he, he was just there purely to come after Billy. He was a, yeah, he, he just came to that particular town to kill Billy to further his own reputation. It's almost like a glory hunter. He just wanted to take, almost like claim the head of Billy the Kid, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a gunslinger who wanted to be known as the worst gun. He wanted to be known as the Holy Terror. But uh, he, it's like making your own nickname. Like, dude, mm, get the yeah. fuck out of here, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, shut up, man. Fuck like, off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, from the moment he arrived in town, he made sure to get close to Billy and his companions, which she actually did. What a dick. What an absolute dick. But he didn't make it known that his goal was to kill the kid. Now, on one evening, the kid suggested that his group should head to the saloon for a drink. And there they found Joe Grant. But this night, Joe was actually abnormally drunk. Viciously so. <laughs> and when the group entered the saloon, Grant walked up to the group, grabbed a pistol from one of the kid's companion's holsters, and then replaced that pistol with his own. And this got the kid's attention because he always had an eye on guns. Mm -hmm. now, he said, that's a beauty, Joe, referring to the pistol that Joe Grant had picked up. He took the pistol from Grant's hand and spun the chambers and then handed it back to Grant, seemingly in a nice gesture, basically. Mm -hmm. And Grant said, partner, I'll kill any man quicker than you just for a whiskey. And then Billy said, what do you want to kill anybody for? <laughs> <laughs> and then told Grant to put up his pistol so they could all have a drink. But Joe had traveled behind the bar of the saloon and was knocking glasses off the wall during their conversation. And Billy decided to join in, smashing glasses on the bar while keeping his eyes locked on Grant. Grant then threatened to kill a member of the kid's group, but Billy interjected saying, I don't know what this means, but he said, you've got the wrong pig by the ear, Joe. <laughs> Without the killing and the shooting and the betrayal, that would have been me on a night out, <laughs> viciously <laughs> drunk, walking around, knocking glasses off, going, listen here, you, I'm the best with a gun. <laughs> now, after Billy had said this, Joe then lifted the pistol straight between Billy's eyes and pulled the trigger. And that's the end of Billy the Kid. What's the, what's the bullets? I thought there was no bullets. Hang on. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, just, whoa, whoa. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> Cody, you absolute... Oh, and that's, um, the, no. and that's this week's Unfortunate History. No, no. Cody, I quit the podcast because of that. You really shocked me then. I can't believe you did that to me. God no. damn it. No, when Joe lifted the pistol straight between Billy's eyes, he pulled the trigger, but nothing happened. Just a click. Now you see, ever since Joe Grant had made his presence known in the town, the kid knew everything about him. He knew his goal was to take Billy out. Everything. And he had just been humoring Grant the entire time. Now, when Billy had taken the pistol and spun the chamber, he made sure it landed on a chamber so that the pistol's next firing would fail. The pistol's failure had obviously surprised Grant, but within a second, Billy had removed his revolver and fired a shot straight through Joe's brain, splattering the wall behind him, and he collapsed behind the counter. And the kid took the shell from his pistol and said, Unfortunate fool. I've been there too often to let a fellow of your caliber overhaul my baggage. Oh my God, I feel like Billy the Kid is our new 
podcast mascot with that one line <laughs> unfortunate oh my god unfortunate that was so cool yeah oh, it's full-on brand but then they just left the bar that night leaving joe grant's body to be found later by the police by the by the lawmen that is madness literally look i was just listening to you tell that story i got chills man i thought this is so that was so <laughs> badass that was so cool the fact that you know what i mean like he just he literally planned for the chamber to be empty now that kind of guy i would have been okay with him killing but innocent younger guys like like carlisle it, it is crossing a line you know it is but it so is, is the next point in the story as well th- th- okay there's a reason he's got this folk history about him because he does have these such cool mo- these really cool moments and i'm honestly surprised there aren't more films about him or you know they were all back in back in the the 50s and and, you know what i mean like they were really old timey yes i'm saying but i'm I'm surprised nothing else has been made of him because his story is incredibly good there'll be a comeback of western films i think there'll be a huge resurgence at some point yeah they could do a whole marvel universe type thing with the wild west (laughs) they literally could do like a billy the kid film wild bill hickok and then just throw them all together in a universe to fight aliens (laughs) (laughs) well it was around this time in the kid's life Sheriff Pat Garrett was made sheriff and put in charge of bringing the kid to justice. That was his main goal. Now, Pat Garrett was a very impressive lawman, Mm -hmm. and he includes a ton of detail on the capture of Billy the Kid in his book. So I will, unfortunately, need to leave that bit of information up to you, the listener, to read if you want to know more about Mm -hmm. it. But I could just say that he basically, through a large series of events, captured Billy the Kid, but he didn't kill him. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, that's only for the sake of time, because the kid was captured multiple times and escaped multiple times. He escaped every single time he was captured throughout his entire life. He never stayed in prison, ever. But we will discuss when Billy was captured and actually went to trial and was actually sentenced. That's when we'll actually discuss. Okay. Now, as you can imagine, a trial for Billy the Kid may not have fallen in his favor, (laughs) especially with a jury. Now, as I said earlier, the public opinion of the kid had shifted with his murder of Jimmy Carlisle. He was no longer the folk hero desperado he had once been. At this point, he was no better than a common murderer, and the public felt the same. Mm-hmm. So reportedly, Billy was sentenced quite quickly to hang, and the judge during the sentencing said, you will hang until you are dead, dead, dead. And to this, Billy responded with, and you can go to hell, hell, hell. (laughs) (laughs) That's a way to go, man. That is a way to go. Now, following the sentencing, Billy was placed in a holding cell to await the hanging. The the holding cell was located inside Pat Garrett's main jail, Mm -hmm. the one that he was in charge of. Now, he was under the care of two guards, Deputy Marshal Olinger and Sheriff Deputy Bell, who the kid was actually said to have taken quite a liking to, Deputy Bell. Mm-hmm. Now, one day, uh, Bell let the kid out into the courtyard to have a little bit of a walk around. And the, while Bell was escorting the kid through the jail back to his cell, the kid walked a little too far ahead. And then he got around a corner a bit quicker than Bell could have. And he was able to make his way around the corner up a staircase. So it was kind of the corner of a staircase. Mm-hmm. He went up slightly quicker than Bell and found the door to the armory and was able to actually force it open with a big shove from his arm. And that was actually apparently just general knowledge to everybody in the jail, <laughs> was that the door was broken and it could be forced open with a hard shove, <laughs> which is fucking stupid. <laughs> that goes in the report. Okay, remember, lads, that this door is kind of a bit pants. It just <laughs> takes the very little effort to get in. If a prisoner gets around there, he's probably going to arm himself and kill everyone. Just be aware of that. Um, who have we got in there in a minute? Oh, Billy the Kid, one of the most lethal killers of this time. It's fine. I'm sure he'll be fine. He'll be fine. As, as, he, as he shoulder barges his weight <laughs> into the armory. Come on. Yeah, we should really fix that. <laughs> now, he was able to force his way into the armory. He picked up a revolver and returned to the corner of the staircase just when Bell was turning the corner. And as Bell turned the corner, Billy fired on him, a guy who he said he was supposed to be very fond of. And this caused Bell to run back to the courtyard, where he ended up dying. So the kid was able to unlock his chains and threw them down on the corpse and said, here, you can take these with you. And that's someone he liked. And that's somebody he liked. At this point uh. in his life, you can tell he is a murderer. It's, it's probably kind of best he, he, he went at such a young guy because yeah. God forbid what he turned into. when if No he, idea what he could have turned into. What he turned into into his 40s, you know, when yeah. he's kind of, you know, he's had a love of life anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Well, the kid then made his way to an office and grabbed a shotgun, which he had seen being reloaded earlier Mm -hmm. uh, because they just did not care to hide this stuff from Billy, I guess. Um, And he made his way to the guard room and stood near the east window, which was open to the yard that they had been in before. Mm -hmm. Now, the other guard, Olinger, heard him shoot Bell and started walking back through the yard. Another prison guard yelled to Olinger that Billy had killed Bell. But at that exact same time, Olinger heard the kid's voice above say, Hello, old boy. And Olinger responded to the other guard by saying, Yes, and he's killed me too, as he was completely destroyed by the shotgun blast from Billy. He was said to have been riddled with buckshot from the shotgun blast. And Billy was then able to make a quick escape from the jail, performing his final prison break. So that is... I've just got to state, whoever that guy was, who was this, the uh, prison warden who had his final words going, yeah, and he's killed me too? Who? Uh, that was uh, sh- uh, Sheriff Deputy Olinger, I think it was. And he, he literally said as he was about to get shot, and yeah, he's killed he, me cause, too. Because the kid sh- uh, shouted from above to get his attention right when that guard was talking to him, and he just responded to the other guard saying, he's killed me too. And then he was blown away, completely blown away. The autopsy was said to have been brutal. He was completely riddled with bullets. Um, I feel like... Death was looked at in such a different manner back then as as to how it is now. I feel like we need to give that guy a bit of credit for his sheer... Again, another character with ginormous bollocks. Well, following his escape, the kid made his way to Peter Maxwell's estate to hide out. Now, Maxwell had actually been a previous employer of Billy after he had killed his first victim, and I believe after he had killed the three Native Americans, he had worked as a ranch hand for... Peter Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately for him, and as unlikely as it may seem, Pat Garrett decided to visit Maxwell at his home. Oh, really? <laughs> now, Pat Garrett, along with a few other lawmen, made their way to Maxwell's estate under the cover of night. They wanted their arrival to be hidden to everyone on the land on the off chance that they found the kid hiding there mm-hmm. because they were searching all these places to find the kid. And obviously, previous employers is one that they would uh, investigate. Yep. Now, they slowly made their way to Maxwell's home. When they reached the door, Pat entered the house, found his way to Maxwell's bed, and sat down next to him in a chair and asked about Billy's whereabouts. Now, Peter denied knowing the kid's whereabouts. He said that he was around, but he didn't know exactly where he was. As he said this, a man burst through the bedroom door and asked Maxwell who was in the room with him. The man had no hat on and he was barefoot. And it was actually Billy and he was holding his revolver in one hand and a knife in the other. Okay. Billy couldn't see into the room. He couldn't see Pat sitting next to Maxwell, and he started making his way very slowly towards the head of the bed. He got within a few inches of Pat Garrett before Maxwell whispered to Pat, That's him. The kid bounced back across the room and raised his revolver and asked, Kianes, Kianes, who is it? Who is it? Pat Garrett did the same and dove to one side. Pat shot twice at Billy, and the second shot missed. It was completely useless. But the first shot hit the kid just above the heart, causing Billy to fall to the floor. And Pat states that Billy never spoke, but struggled and made little strangling noises as he gasped for breath until he finally joined the reportedly 21 men whose lives he had claimed since he was a teenager. And according to Pat Garrett, the kid's body was neatly and properly dressed and buried in the military seminary at Fort Sumner on July 15, 1881. Reportedly, his exact age on the day of his death was 21 years, 7 months, and 21 days. That is such a cool story. And that ends the life of Billy the Kid. In such a short amount of time, Billy grew from being a kid who was a champion of the helpless and defenseless to a cold-blooded murderer. He gained a reputation as a feared gunslinger, but ended up being killed by a gunshot in the dark, in his socks, and confused. His life ended in pure tragedy, and that, I think, is what's truly unfortunate. It is truly unfortunate. Could I just go back a second, because I was just a bit confused by one bit. So, um, how did... So, he walked into the room, and how how come he didn't see the sheriff? Because it was dark. It was midnight. I'm sorry if I didn't didn't make that clear. It was midnight um, when they got there, and... Maxwell was in bed, so there were no lights on in the house. Okay, okay, that makes so much more sense to me now. Because I would have thought, like, Billy the Kid, with his stories, got, I thought he knows everything, he can spot anything from a thing, but I guess you've got the darkness and that, this and that. And and also, part of me likes to think that 
what, what Pat Garrett said about him as he died, you know, he, he tries to make that he died with this sort of gurgling, sort of pathetic way about him. Uh, uh, a bit of me doesn't want to believe it. But I feel like that might be the unfortunate truth. And it's so sad to think that this this just legitimate kid grew up so quickly to being such a terrible person. And, and it ended in such a bad way for him. Do you think Billy the Kid was evil? Do you think he was evil? I per- I personally don't. I think he was a product of the time where killing other men was just commonplace. And I feel like, again, I don't think he was evil. I'd like to hear your opinion on that. Do you think he was I evil? I think after the killing of his good friend Tunstall, he gave up on the morals that he had had as a younger person. Mm-hmm. And grew to not really care about who he hurt. And then I think along the way, his name got to him and his reputation went to his head to the point where he said Mm -hmm. he is one of the best gunfighters in the world, Mm -hmm. or at least in the country, and he would not be bested by anybody. And I think Mm -hmm. he just felt he was larger than life in some ways. And basically in a narcissistic way. I think he became mm. grew into a narcissist because he was so skilled. Uh, I, I guess I can I can kind of understand that. I suppose he was was it was he a Western Kanye? Well, <laughs> you know, he grew into his own. No, his own he name. wasn't that bad. Look, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but again, when, when, when we talk about that thing, when we talk about the part where he's in the saloon with the guy who was out to kill him, yeah, and he just planned where he saw the gun, he's looked at it. He saw how many bullets were in the chamber, and he just knew what to do. There's a part of me that can't hate this guy. I can't. You know hate what? Him. No, I mean you can love, you can think the things that he did were awesome because he was, he was awesome, you know. But towards the end, he just got too much, and I, it might have been the fact that he was that 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 the lawmen were finally after him. That could have been what caused mm-hmm. him to to get more um, desperate. Mm-hmm. And, and and the only choice was to kill people and to to make every every time he escaped he like when he escaped jail he had to kill those guards to get out of there that mm-hmm. sort of thing maybe maybe that's the way it went and he he would just he felt it was necessary to kill these people but even if he did it was still the wrong choices yeah. and he did turn into somebody that's less likable I think which is unfortunate again. It- <laughs> Yeah, again, <laughs> good. Again, it's easy to look back on people from the past and sort of um, glamorize them, I suppose. And that's kind of what I'm doing right now because from what I've heard from this story at the minute, um, I don't hate Billy the Kid. I quite like Billy the Kid. I think he's an incredibly complex character, but I think he's incredibly likable as well. I think he's incredible. I think he's incredibly strong-minded. He believes in what he is. He knows what he's capable of, and I kind of like that about him but again at the same time i've got to remind myself that he was a killer he did shoot people in the back and at the end of the day he probably deserved what he came yeah. to him but again it's, it's hard for me to, to you know to remind myself of how young he was yeah it's really difficult to remember that he's so he's young. Very young when you said that he was very complex like to that point most people don't think of complexity when they think about um doc holiday or mm-hmm. or you know billy the kid or wild bill hickok or all these other people that were um wild west folk heroes they don't think about the complexity that goes into them as people and the mm-hmm. complexity that makes these characters who they are yep. and that's what i really hope we were able to flesh out in this series and to show people that he wasn't just a folk hero he was something and i wanted to get into the bare meat and bones of this person to explain that this is who he was and this is who he became. And he's not just the folk hero that you may have heard in passing. Exactly that. Exactly. Again, like I say, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone for liking this character, but at the same time, I hope we've covered the fact that he wasn't this, you know, anti-hero. He wasn't this superhuman person. He was definitely a man who had his flaws, died at a very young age. But again, a lot to think, I, I, well, I don't think a lot to think, but a lot to, like part of me goes, um, imagine this. Imagine if this man had got to his thirties, his forties, his fifties. Yeah. The body count he could have racked up, and the kind of legacy he could have made. If anything, it kind of probably did his legacy a favour that he died so young. So I do Absolutely. think he would have got so much worse if you'd given him the chance. Yeah. Well, I think we should end it there because uh, we kind of went over time uh, quite a bit just for the fact that we needed to force this Mm -hmm. into two episodes. And I hope we gave you, the listener, enough details about who Billy the Kid was for you to be satisfied. 
Um, if not, like I said, you can read Pat Garrett's book, but we didn't want to spend too long on it. It was much more detailed than I expected to go into when I mm-hmm. first suggested the episode. Um, so it was much more research than I expected. But I hope that this series did Billy the Kid's uh, his, uh, legend justice. I hope it did, and I mm-hmm. hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and I want to give a quick shout out, uh, a big shout out to the Stitcher community. I want to say thank mm-hmm. you so much for for supporting us and stuff. And please share this with your family and friends. And if you want to give us a review, please go onto the Stitcher desktop version. I think you can do it. Just leave us a review. A review. Um, please, everybody, you're doing so amazing with us, and and, and the listens are just pouring in. I love mm-hmm. it. I absolutely love seeing that. And um, again. Show your family, tell a friend. Please do that for us. Mm-hmm. It, it really helps us out. And uh, if you want to follow the show, please follow us on Twitter at UnHistoryPod or on Facebook and Instagram at Unfortunate History. If you want to follow me, Cody Pennington, you can just Google me and follow me. And Greg, do you want to shout anything out? Again, if you want to follow me, um, you can follow me on Facebook, which is just Greg Skinner. Instagram, which is always, unfortunately, GSkin93. <laughs> my, Twitter is, it, uh, my Twitter handle is very new, so it's it's like it's Greg Ski with a load of numbers. Don't worry about that right now. But honestly, if you're going to follow anyone, follow Cody, because he is the heart and soul of this podcast. Oh, so he's the, one, he's the one you want to be following. Here's the one you want to get to trust me he really is but um, again so much love to anyone who's listening it really means a lot and um i really hope you're enjoying the podcast yeah thank you guys so much all right but unfortunately we gotta go stay unfortunate guys stay unfortunate everybody bye bye bye